if you've been with us over, or at least when I've been teaching, I've been talking about Nehemiah and Ezra. And back in the Old Testament, Ezra and Nehemiah, when the, you know, I'll just give you that quick synopsis. You know, the reality is that when Ezra, uh, when uh, Persia and, and uh, ah, the person, the people before that, Babylon, the Babylonians, they came in and they overtook uh, Jerusalem. They took, overtook uh, the people of God. They went into exile mostly because they weren't walking with the Lord. They weren't obeying the Lord and, and getting in with him. And so a lot of that exile went. And so the Babylonians came in, took over. And then when the Persians came over and they took over uh, Babylon. And so when, the, when that happened, um, Ezra and Nehemiah, that, when you start reading through those two books, that's when all of a sudden the kings, God gave them favor before these kings of Persia. And all of a sudden they empowered these um, the people in Jerusalem that had been exiled to go back and build up the, the temple and build up the wall because they had been broken. They had been ruined by the Babylonians. When they overtook, they, they went and uh, destroyed the temple. They went and destroyed the wall that was around Jerusalem that, that declared who they were. It was like a, uh, a, a place of, obviously, a, a wall was protection maybe back in that day. And so we've, I've been talking about, you know, obviously when Ezra went back, he went and built the temple, right? We've kind of, I've shown you that kind of illustration. Um, he went back and built the temple first, which, you know, doesn't make sense to me. I'd go back and build the wall first and then, then build the temple so that I'd be, you know, safe. But God doesn't do that. He needs a place for his glory to dwell. You, you go back and build up the temple. Your relationship with God, obviously, is most important. That's what you, obviously, if you need to focus on anything, focus on that first. But there's also this facet that this, uh, when Nehemiah came along, uh, we're going to read some out of Nehemiah. Most of these scriptures are out of Nehemiah. Um, when Nehemiah came along, you know, he built up the wall. So that's kind of, I wanted to get you up to date. But sometimes you have to go back, almost you have to go all the way to the end of the book to then to get a vision for where God's calling you to. Remember in the garden, so if I'm, if I'm over here at Genesis, in the garden there was like this pure, unadulterated, uh, relationship with God, right? Adam and Eve had just pure uh, relationship, connection, communion with God, okay? Sin happened, okay? And then that, that kind of destroyed that. That's put us kind of where we're at today. But if you go over to Revelation, you go on the other side of the spectrum, you go all the way this side. So true communion was the original foundation. But if you go over on this side, think about in Revelation, what, are you, what, what did God call us in relationship to the body of Christ? We're going to be talking about the body tonight, today. And, uh, and I, did we uh, get the scriptures up there? They might be. <laughs> we have had an issue with the PowerPoint. But um, in Revelation, God, uh, Revelation 19, I'll read it to you. If, uh, if, we, if we can get them up there, great. Uh, if we can't, I know that's a pain because my PowerPoint doesn't like the... PowerPoint does not like the... Um, uh, program that we use for some reason, which is crazy. Uh, Revelations 19, 7 and 9. It says, let us rejoice, be glad, give the glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So if you go over here to Revelation all the way to the other end, the reality is you are being made ready for what? To be a what? Come on now. I know it's not that hard. Come on. Everybody's awake this morning, right? You're created and your destiny is to be a what? Bride. Right. Now, that's kind of sometimes hard for us men to kind of think about being a bride. But, you know, that's what your destiny is. 
to be in so the biggest communion outside of our relationship with the Lord, but then the next on this earth would be communion and connection with a, a, a spouse. And so the reality is God's preparing us to be in such communion that he's saying it's like a bride making herself ready uh, before him. So uh, Revelations 19, it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the linen of the righteous saints of the act. Then he said, right, blessed are to those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. God's getting ready for a marriage. Uh, Revelation uh, 21 says, the first heaven, the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Okay, so you, you kind of get that. There's a reality that uh, there's this bride getting ready. And, um, and it's, it's cool. It says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and he will be the, his people, and God himself will be among them. So you've got to realize your destiny over here on this other side is just to get ready to be back in 100% communion with God. Now, the problem is we've got to get from here to here, right? We're here on this earth right now. And the cool part is that even, even in Ephesians 5, you know, it says, you know, that's when it starts talking about husband and wife. He, he, it's an illustration of the church. It's an illustration of God and the church. It says, husbands, love your eyes just as Christ loved the church. And he did what? Gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed the church by the washing of the water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all his glory. So you've got to realize the destiny on you is to be a part of a church. And to be the part of the church is now getting ready to be a what? Bride. You're getting ready to be in full communion. And that's, that's the glory that's on the church. That's the destiny that's on the church. Now do you understand why the enemy wants to destroy the church? Do you understand why the enemy doesn't want you to be connected in the body? There's fullness in two places. There's fullness in the uh, hen, and there's fullness in the body. And I'll, I'll show you some of the scriptures. But the reality is there's fullness in him, there's fullness in the body. So if I'm not in him, or if I'm not in the body, when am I not going to have? Sorry, this is my logical mind. In my mathematical mind, if I don't have him, I don't have the body, I don't have fullness. I can live and exist, I just won't have fullness. So I can have this relationship, and I'll have some measure of fullness. I can have this relationship and have some measure of fullness. I can have both and have fullness. That's what I believe. You add both of those together, you get fullness. Fullness is in him, fullness is in the body. You can't really achieve each of, either of those outside of one another. All right? So that's kind of where we're heading, okay? So think about that. It was the call in the garden, the call as the bride. It's to be in such communion with him and with one another because he's drawing us together as a bride to be together, all right? So think about this in relationship to Nehemiah, okay? So I'm going to read some out of Nehemiah. If you want to turn there, do we have? We don't have them yet. All right. So you can turn there because we'll be out of there in most of them. Nehemiah 1. Uh, I'm going to read um, 8 through 10. Oh, there we go. So she can maybe pull some of these up. And think about this. this so, the, the, so just going through Revelation, if you've got your notes there, the call, uh, the goal, I need to make sure I watch my time because we have some, I have a, Shelly's going to come share a testimony here in just a few minutes. 
Um, the goal is, first, the goal for Nehemiah. So remember, Nehemiah, he hears that the temple is built, but the walls are still broken down. Okay, so he hears that, and then he goes before the king. So that's kind of, I just wanted to set you up. Ezra has already come. She, uh, he has started to rebuild the temple. Uh, and so now Nehemiah is coming. And so think about this in Nehemiah 1, 8 through 10. Remember the word which you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me, keep my commandments, do them, walk in relationship with me, uh, that's really what he's saying. If you'll walk in this relationship with me, you know, remember that New Testament scripture, you know, uh, don't walk in the flesh. Um, let's see, now I'm mixing up some scriptures. Uh, um, if you don't walk in the flesh, you will not carry out the, sorry, if you walk in the spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So if I walk in communion with God, I'm not, I don't even have to worry about where I'm going. Because if I walk in the Spirit, I don't even carry out desires of the flesh. So he's saying, if you'll return to me, walk in the Spirit, walk in who I am. Though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place where I've caused my name to dwell. Dwelling place, right? So it's part of even the facet of the name. Dwelling place. It's not only where God dwells, it's where our people can dwell together with him. And so there's this facet... It says, there a uh, place where I've caused my name to dwell. So you're, the goal is to dwell with him, to dwell with one another, to be empowered to walk with one another. Um, so Nehemiah uh, gets, there's a reality that he knows this. So, okay, so then he's like, uh, I'm going to kind of fill in some blanks here because uh, I didn't want to put all these scriptures in there because there's just a lot of scripture in between. But, you know, so all of a sudden he gets this heart. He starts weeping. He starts crying. He's like, man, like. You know, God's people needs to be back together. They need to be back together. They need to walk in fellowship. So uh, he goes into Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5. Says, so he goes before the king. Actually, it's funny. The king, does, the king actually pulls it out of him. Um, all of a sudden, Nehemiah's just hanging around doing his cup bearing. I don't know if you knew that, but Nehemiah was the cup bearer before the king. He got to taste all the wine before the king did. So if he fell over and died... <laughs> The king wouldn't drink that. It's, a, it's kind of an interesting position to be in. But um, it's a cupbearer before the king. And so there's a reality that he goes before the king. And all of a sudden the king says, hey, Nehemiah, there's something on you. Like there's some sadness in you. Like what's going on? And so all of a sudden Nehemiah just comes forth and just you know, talks about, hey, my people are disconnected. My people are scattered. And I need to bring them back together. I need, we need to go build this wall. Okay, and we talked about the wall. I forgot to say that. The wall, you know, that we're going to be talking about, what, what is the New Testament wall? Well, I believe what the Lord, Word of God says and also what just the Lord has shown me, that the wall is the church. Like, it defines who we are as a community, as a bride. The walls are the church. And so, and we'll kind of go there in just a second. So, um, anyway, Nehemiah uh, 2, 4, and 5 it says, then the king said to me, well, well, what would you want? What would you request that I do about this situation? And all of a sudden, he, uh, so I prayed to the God of heaven. I always think about that. He prayed, like, well, what did you do there? Did you, like, take a break and pray, or did you just go, like, okay, yes, okay, I know what we need to do. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, the city of my 
father's tombs that I may rebuild it. Send me back to, the, to build, rebuild the wall uh, in, 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 the, in the city. And so uh, right after that, the enemy, uh, you know, it's 2, 9, and 10. If, uh, I don't know if she has it up there. Nehemiah 2, 9, and 10. Uh, all of a sudden, you, you start realizing the enemy doesn't like that. The enemy doesn't want you to build this wall of connection. He doesn't want you to build a community that would support and walk with you and build you up and that you have an opportunity to go and build that same community up yourself because you have some good stuff within you, each of you. We'll talk about that in a second. So Nehemiah 2, 9, you know, the enemy's plan is always to get you disconnected, to keep you out of connection. So it says, I came to the governors of the provinces before the river and gave them the king's letters. And the king had sent me with the officers. And when Sembalat, that person, and Tobiah, uh, the Ammonite official, heard about it, it was very displeasing to them because someone had come to seek the welfare, the connection, the building back up of the body of Christ, the building up of the people of Israel. And so uh, he, they came... Uh, they were like, man, somebody is actually seeking out the welfare of these people, trying to put them back together. And we don't like that. The enemy doesn't like that at all. And so um, then you go on down to Nehemiah 2, 17, if you kind of just keep following down the situation. Uh, Nehemiah comes, and he gathers all the people. He goes, and he gathers all the people. Hey, Nick, how do you? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Nick is back. <laughs> I didn't even see you um, until now. So, um, But... All of a sudden, he gathers all the people back and gets them all around and says, uh, then I said to them, he says to the people, you see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate, its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that, that, that we will no longer be a reproach. See, the reproach of the church is to be disconnected. The reproach of the church is to be not unified. The reproach of the church is for, uh, for each person to be just an individual. Because that, at that point, the gates are burned. The, the walls are not connecting. The walls are broken. You know, the, the glory of the church is what we talked about over here. God's making himself a bride, ready and in action when he comes back, right? In action and ready for when he comes back. So the reality is, is that all of a sudden, uh, when the walls, in, back in that time, the walls for Jerusalem, it was kind of a reproach. It was kind of like they were despised because of like, man, look at that. I mean, they can't even, you know, their walls are down. They, they're, not, they're not even a people anymore. And so what God wants to do is come back and rebuild some of church community, some of the community that even this society tries to take away. You realize that this society is geared to even through connection to cause you to disconnect? When you think about Facebook and all those things, you know, it tries to make you think you're connected when you're not, right? Nobody agrees with me, right? Anybody felt that way? You've scrolled through Facebook for a whole hour, and then all of a sudden at the end of that hour you go, what did I just do? <laughs> did I, did I, did, and it's funny because I think I connected, but some of that, and some of it is, I'm not saying all of it. I mean, I like Facebook because I like to wish people a happy birthday. That's it. I don't, <laughs> other than that, I don't, I don't get even on it because I know what the, thumb scroll does to me, but, or, or, you know, or, or YouTube or, you know, whatever. I mean, anything that tries to connect us, it, if it's kind of a, the only thing that true connection is in the body, the truth, like the, the core walking with people face to face, walking with people heart to heart, like getting in somebody else's life, getting into letting other people into your life. 
That's true connection. Like, that's true connection. That's hard. It's not easy. Or else we, we'd all be doing it, and it'd be like the glory would already be here. Like, and so God's rebuilding a glory upon the church, and it is in connection. It's, it's walking together, walking one another. So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, those, those are those places that God wants to continue to, to build. And it says, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem in, in verse 17 so that we will no longer be of reproach. I told, I told them how the hand of God had been favorable to me about the king's word, and he said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. Okay, so God said, uh, he spoke it to the people, and they're like, what? All right, let's do it. Let's build. Okay, and you have to, it has to be in a place where it's got to get into your heart to build. Like, um, and some of that we've talked about, Leah talked about last last week, opening up your heart, getting back in a place that you're even in a position that you want to build. You know, it's, it's hard when you're not in that place that you even want to build. So it's kind of cool. Right after that, he goes into chapter 3. And if you go into chapter 3, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but the whole chapter is about building the wall. How did they build the wall? Nehemiah goes out and ex- inspects all the wall, and he does all the work, right? How long do you think that would have taken for Nehemiah himself to do that? So, but no, what, what he does is he's, he begins with people. So he says, he takes Robbie and he says, stand up. I'm going to need some particip- class participation for a second. He says, the Maddox is, this is, your, this is your place before the wall. I want you to start building, okay? This is your place. All right. Come on, Harris's. All right. So then he links up the Harris's right beside, right beside uh, the Maddox's, and they link hands. And so they began to build the wall in front of them. All right? Come on, Bradford's and Lou, you can, all you guys can come. And so all of a sudden, the Bradford's all of a sudden, right before him, he says, I'm going to wait for you, Lou. He says, for the Bradford's and uh, Vitelli, build right here. Begin to do that. All right, Eagles Nest, come on. Eagles Nest, come on. This, is, this will be an easy one because then I'll show, you how quick, I'll show you how quick this thing can be built. Come on, all Eagles Nest. Eagles Nest, you guys build right beside the Maddoxes. Yeah, there we go. You can go down the aisle. Just grab hands right there. Right? And then all of a sudden he comes over here and he says, the, the Wheelers, the Acres, come up here and start building. Right, the Morales, come up here and start building. All right, now, I'm not going to go all the way around the house, but I could probably make this pretty quick if we just kept going all the way around, right? It's, it's, and all of a sudden they says, just do what's right before you. You know, just do what's right before you. You don't have to figure out how I'm going to build over there or how I'm going to build here. I just need to build right before me. Now, the problem is, is that what if the Harris has said, eh, I'm not sure... I'm not sure this is all what it's called off to be. So they're just going to go and kind of say, nah, this is, not, this is not really where I want to be. This is, not, this is not who I am, all right? Um, then all of a sudden, maybe some of these regen guys say, nah, I'm, 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 I'm tired of this. I'm out. <laughs> all right, right. All right, so you can see, well, and then the Agers, they get a little disgusted with the church, and they say, forget this. Yeah, come on. Sit down, sit down. All right, so what happens real quick? If you think that you don't have purpose in life within the body of Christ, what happens? A breach. All of a sudden, it breaches the wall. Like, it breaches where there's supposed to be strength, 
And then you have maybe some people like come in here and they try to you stand in the gap for where you're supposed to be, but that, that's not destiny. That's not the heart of God. You know, that's where you that's where you get burnout and people that are trying to do too much, right? Because only you know, eighty percent of the church does what I mean, twenty percent of the church does eighty percent. I want a hundred percent of the church doing a hundred percent of the work. All right? All right, guys, thanks for that. Yeah. So that's what happens. That's what happens. But that's how quick you can build. You know, Nehemiah, I don't know how long it took to build that wall originally. But you know, realize that I'm pretty sure, I, I meant to go back and check this, but I'm, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. But it only took 52 days to rebuild that wall. 52 days to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. That's like, that's impossible, I think. Unless everyone does what's in front of them. That's when impossible becomes impossibility. You know, and so there's a reality that God wants to birth, I think, to this morning, birth in you the, 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 not only the, uh, the place, you know, the place in the, you know, before me. He was going to start speaking, who's before you? What's before you? How do you connect? How do you walk? But also the need that if I just check out, then guess what, I, guess what happens? There's a breach in that. And so, um, so anyway... So what's the New Testament scripture and, and all that? Um, you know, I think about Ephesians 1.22, and this is where the fullness is in the body. It says, Ephesians 1.22 and 23, he put, Jesus put all things in subjection under his feet, or the Father put all things under subjection to his feet and gave Jesus his head over all things to the church, right? So God gave, uh, gave, God gave Jesus his head over this church. That's who the true head is. Um, and the, think about this, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So the reality is you're only going to get fullness within the body, true fullness. You're only going to get fullness in him, fullness in the body. The church is his body. That's why fullness is there. You represent a part and a, a place of the body of Christ, right? Um, Keep going, Mitch. Keep going, Mitch. All right. But so how do we do this as New Testament? This is a really cool scripture in Ephesians 4. Uh, this is the kind of the um, verse I just really want to pull out of the New Testament. I love this. He gave some as apostles. Y'all have heard this before. Some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, some as teachers. That's why we believe in uh, an apostolic church, a five-fold church, a, a church that operates in the five-fold. Because he said uh, God gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, pastors. Why? Why would you need all five of those? For the what? Building up, the equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. What if I only have one facet of that? What if, I, what if we were just pastor-driven church? You're going you're gonna to have some strength. You're just not going to have the strength of all five that God's declaring that creates fullness. And so if I'm just, just a teaching church or if I'm just a prophetic church or if I'm just an evangelistic church, you'll just be lopsided in those areas. You'll, you'll be really good in those areas, but I want to be good in all the areas. I don't know. Maybe y'all not with me right there? 
I mean, I just want to be good in all the areas. Because you need each one of those. We need the evangelist. We need the prophetic. We need the uh, teaching, great teaching. We need the apostle, uh, the apostolic work. We need the pastoring. And so we need all five of those. But look at this. It says, until we obtain to the unit, uh, sorry, to the building up of the body of Christ. And I never have seen this scripture. This is, I mean, I've seen it. I've read it, I'm sure. But all of a sudden, God said, you're going to keep building up the body of the church until four things happen. If you're reading along, uh, I don't, is, there, is it up there? Yeah. Think about this. You're going to build up, God's going to build up his church until these, I, I kind of pulled them out. They might not be grammatically four things in there, but I pulled them out. That's, the way, that's what we're going to do this morning. Until we all obtain to the unity of the faith. There's this facet that God wants to bring us into unity. To, just like in uh, John 17, I put in there that we're one as Christ uh, as, God, as we are, as God said, as, as me, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we are one, I need you all to be one. To you, you walk together so, so uh, um, together, <laughs> for a better word, you walk so good together that you look like one person walking out. Like, you, you become one. Um, and so, the unity of the faith, um, and that's why I love... Um, we're going I think next week and some of the up, upcoming weeks you're going to hear about something that we're going to be doing um, with the rest of the body of Christ. We're believing for the rest of the body of Christ in the New River Valley to come together on April 16th. And it's called We Are One. And some of the guys will be sharing about that. But uh, there's a facet that we're, we're believing that God's bringing the whole body of Christ in this New River Valley together for oneness. I mean, we can, and we can achieve that on the basis that Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> I mean, they might all not all look like us, but that's okay. Each, each part of the body is important. But for this facet of the body, we're going for the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God. This is eternal life that you may know Him. If you want eternal life, you better know Him. If you want eternal life on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, know Him. You know, that's why we, we believe that you can know Jesus not only just personally but you can we can know him corporately in a, in a manifested way like he shows up in our midst he walks with us we can know him uh here and so unity of the faith the knowledge of the son of god to a mature man so i put in here maturing into men and women of the spirit like that's got to be something that's before you like this is on the church that you would become a mature man and a mature woman of the spirit like, if you have on you that, nah, I mean, I kind of will just be one of those kind of backseater believers that will kind of just, you, you take what I give you, and that's all you're going to get for the week. You know, God's saying no to a mature man and to a mature woman. They're going to take what, eat it, and then God, see what God does in you through it. Like, becoming m mature men and women of the Spirit. Don't let the enemy con you out of that. Because um, even the... So God wants to do that. And then the last thing, the measure of the stature, which is in the fullness of Christ, getting fullness in him. Uh, I can't remember how I phrased that. Where did my notes go? I phrased that um, in that fourth one, receiving the fullness of Christ. That's on you. It's your destiny. It's, it's who you are. You are uh, not that we deserve it. We got to figure out how we deserve that. It's what God's already put on us. So that's the, that's the goal of the body. All right, so what's, what's three things uh, that can keep us from doing that? And then I'm going to have Shelly share just a testimony of this um, 
But these are interesting. It's all through Nehemiah. Okay, Nehemiah's building a wall, right? He starts building it. Do you think the enemy's just going to say, oh, man, that's awesome that you're building a wall. That's great that you're going to build community back. That's awesome that you're going to get all, this, all these people back together and have unity and, and maturing and all these things. You think the enemy's just going to say, oh, that's great. I think I'll just, I'll just let that be. No, he's going to try to create something. How he does it, and, and if you start boiling everything down, he tries to invoke fear in you to stop building, basically. But we're going to look at three examples in Nehemiah. Look real quick with me in Nehemiah 4, 11 and through 14. Let me get to it. Oh, man. Nehemiah 4, 11 through 14. And it says, Our enemies said they will not know or see until we come among them. Kill them and put a stop to the work. So that's what they're going to try. They're gonna, first thing is they're going to just try to intimidate you and create a battle in you that creates this environment that you don't want to build. It's like, forget that. I ain't doing that. Like, man, I'll just, I'll just kind of sit back and hang out and get, wait until I get to glory land. That's not the destiny of the church. The destiny of the church is not for you to get saved and then kind of duly bop along in this life until you get to heaven. That's, that's not the fullness. I mean, that's one aspect of it. But God's got destiny on you. Destiny on this church together. Destiny on the body of Christ as a whole. All right? So, uh, and it's interesting. It says, when the Jews, that's who they, you know, the Jews were a part of those people, right? The Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times, they will come up against us from every place where you turn. Do you ever get sometimes your uh, people in the church almost talking you out of being the church? Right? <laughs> Someone's like, uh, man, that's too hard. I don't know about that, you know. That sounds like it's impossible. Like, I don't know if you should do that. I don't know if you, you know. And all of a sudden, isn't the God, the God the impossible, right? Isn't God the God of the unimaginable, the unthinkable? You know, so don't let, even, don't let sometimes other people con you out of what your uh, position and place is in the body and the, and the fullness of it. So anyway, so what does Nehemiah do? In verse 13, I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space, the exposed places. I stationed the people and families with the, their swords, spears, and bows. And, it, and this is what Nehemiah speaks. We need to speak this to one another when we see stuff in this. It says, when I saw their fear, I rose up and spoke into them, the officials and the people. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. All right? Don't be afraid. I'm going to call you not just to don't be afraid. You've got to put something in the place of that. Remember God. Remember who he is. And it says, uh, when I saw their fear, I rose and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and do something about it. Like, stand in your place and fight for what? Fight for your brothers and sisters. Fight for your family. Fight for the family of God that's in, that's, that you're a part of, that's in you. Right? It was kind of interesting. I didn't put it in there, but the, they got to a place where they were uh, holding a tool in one hand, and they were holding a, a sword or a spear or something in the other. It was like, I'm going to build, and I'm going to fight, all right? And I'm not going to give up until this wall is completed. It only took 50. Did I mention it was 52 days? Did I say that? Yeah. I just remember, just 52 days, all right? That's because people had a heart to do it, a heart to walk, and because they, they all did their part. They all linked together and did that. And I love it, right? The, I didn't put it up there. It says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. 
So that's the first thing. God, the enemy is going to try to intimidate you and, and, and try to create this battle that all of a sudden you're like, man, I don't even want the battle anymore. Forget it. You ever got to that place? You're like, man, I don't even want the battle anymore. Like, it's, just, it's just too hard. I'm just going to lay out. I'm just going to lay out for a while. Like, I'm just going to check out, lay out. I mean, that, the hard part for that is if you're supposed to be in the battle, that's the best place that you're supposed to be. Remember David? He was supposed to be in the battle, and all of a sudden he didn't go, and all of a sudden Bathsheba happened. Like that's you, If God's called you to the battle, be in the battle. Be in the fight. Fight for your brothers. Fight for your family. All right, keep going, Mitch. All right, so the, the second one, he's going to try to just discourage you. Um, in Nehemiah 6, 1 through 9, I think I just, uh, it says when it was reported to S.T. Uh, and those guys, uh, to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and no breach remained, although I needed to set up the gates. Then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me. Come, let us meet together at that place in the plain of Ono. And I remember the last time I spoke. If the enemy calls you out to the plain of Ono, you probably I might need to tag something, right? Oh, no. I ain't going. I'm not going out to the plain of Ono. Forget that. If he's calling you out to the plain of Ono, you better start asking yourself the question. Maybe I should be, because God was calling him to keep building, not to go and uh, try to figure out what the enemy, all they want. All they want to do is distract and discourage. Uh, but they were planning on harming me, so I sent messengers saying, I'm not going to stop doing a great work and come down to you. And then if you go on down to verse uh, 8, I sent a message to him saying, such things you're saying you've not done. He was ac accusing some things, and they weren't, they weren't true. And it says, but you're inventing them in your own mind. For all of them were trying to frighten us, thinking they will become discouraged in the work it will not be done. All, all the enemy's trying to do is get you discouraged so that you'll stop building. You'll stop connecting. You know, maybe you've had some breaches in relationship to some of the relationships even within here. You know, it's a great, this is a great day to go say, God, I'm not allowing that breach to in, be in here anymore. I'm going to build that breach. I'm going to build that gap back relationally with that person because that breach is, that's not worth it. It's not worth it to the whole, to hold that to the one, right? So, so, so uh, in, that dis in the discouragement, God, it, it, right, even right at the end, it says, but now, oh God, strengthen my hands, all right? So discouragement, intimidation, get you in the battle, forget the battle, distraction. He wants you to go out to the plane of, oh, no, don't do that. Um, and then the last one is isolation and running. Uh, in Nehemiah 6, it's kind of interesting. And this is also a temptation, too. It says, when I entered the house of Shem, uh, Shem I'll just call it, the son of Delilah, son of whatever. <laughs> if you ever want to do something really bad to somebody, I, I was going to put... Can you, can you, uh, Nehemiah 10, 1 through 25, get somebody just to, like, if you want to play a practical joke, like you're in a Bible study or something, just say, hey, can you read Nehemiah 10, 1 through 25, all right? I don't know if you can put that up there real quick, but this is, is hilarious. I'm like, I, I was just going through Nehemiah, and I'm like, this would be an awesome practical joke. Uh, I don't know if it's up there or not, but all it is is like a list of incredibly hard word of names to pronounce, uh, but I had it on my, I had it on, in my other thing. But it's really interesting. Um, it says, it says, should a man like, oh, sorry, let us meet together. The, this person said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you at night. And so he, what he wanted to do is to isolate himself, to, to, 
to retreat, to run. Like, let's run from the enemy. Like, this is not good. We got to, we're going to, but Nehemiah rose up and said, should a man like me flee? And that's something that's got to be in us. Wait a second. Should we, should a man like me flee? I mean, that's, I've had to ask that same question even lately. God, should, should a man like me, a believer, a man of God, flee? And could such one as go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. And I perceive that surely God had not sent him. He was hired for this reason, that I might become, what? Anybody reading along with me? That he might become frightened. Is that up there? Oh, it's past it. Sorry. I'm reading right past it in verse uh, 13. Uh, he was hired for this reason, that I might become frightened, act accordingly, and sin. So the enemy wants to frighten you so that then you act according to that fear and then you do what? Miss the mark, sin. Because I'm not going to be able to operate in fear and operate in the kingdom of God. And so there's this facet that the enemy wants to just bring us into fear. And so the reality for all three of those is he just wants to bring us into fear so that we don't, we miss the mark on connecting. All right? And so it's kind of interesting. Shelly shared a little bit of her testimony when we originally started the whole 777. I, I said, I think you need to speak that some of that again and add to it. So I wanted her to come and share kind of testimony as she's been talking about this whole, she's been talking to me and we've been kind of communion, communicating about this whole area of, of really walking in the body of Christ and what God's meant to her. All right. Hello. Um, yeah, so as Mitch said, I came and shared, this is the same testimony, not a different one, that I shared a couple weeks ago when we were sort of originally putting out the 777 vision. And, and I, as I shared, like the authority I have to share this came out of the fact that God had corrected me in this area back in the fall. And so this really is a testimony of how God kind of taught me this directly. So I'm going to review that quickly and then walk you through a little bit more of how God showed me what he did and what... I came home and I emailed the elders and I said, I think God gave me a word for dwelling place because I knew it wasn't just for me. I think it was for a lot of us. So what happened was back in the fall, I just was feeling overwhelmed with life. I was really like longing for connection, but didn't feel like I was getting it when I came to church. And I just decided like church was optional and I did not come more than I did. And I, and I even told Ben the reason is because the reason I want to go to church is to connect with God and connect with people. And I don't feel like that's happening. So, as I said, I had, luckily I had this trip to Cancun planned, and so I took this opportunity, I sought the Lord in Cancun, I took this opportunity to um, just, like, seek him and ask him, like, what's going on here, God? And, you know, I want to share a little bit more about how he showed me. I was reading this book, it's called Imagine Heaven, while I was in Cancun, and the way I came about this book was I was in my HR, my corporate HR director's office in tears talking about this personnel issue that I was just like, it's, this is too much for me. It's too much. And, you know, for the first six months of the job that I'm in now, it was like too much for me every day. And so she said, you know what? She's a believer. And she said, other than the Bible, the best book I've ever read is this Imagine Heaven. And I think you should read it. It'll put things into perspective. You know, it'll put things in perspective, and you, this won't seem like such a big deal. And so this book, it's by a man who's a researcher. It's qualitative research. So what he does is he gathers stories, and he draws research out of people's stories. And these are all stories of people who've had near-death experiences. It's people who, across faiths, across the world, 
across gender, age, all the different demographics have near-death experiences, and there are incredible similarities with what they experience and with what the scripture tells us about life, truth, heaven, God. And so he really used this book to communicate with me. And some of the things, essentially, that he showed me, and I'm going to walk you through some of where he showed it to me, was that, one, God is unity. So he is. It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and their relationship is part of who he is. So I cannot be made in God's image without you in connection with you. Without relationship, isolated, I cannot look like God's image. The other thing that it showed me, and this is, um, you know, this is something that's said in this book, is that the devil, like literally, do you guys don't even remember, what does devil mean literally? Satan means accuser. Satan means adversary and accuser. El Diablo, who knows their Spanish? What does that mean literally? It means the one who divides. So who God is, is unity and love. Who the enemy is, is one who divides, one who accuses, and one who's our adversary. And I think he uses accusations against God, against ourselves, and against each other to divide us. And, you know, one thing he showed me was uh, Jesus' big focus in the Last Supper. So the Last Supper was right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, which was the night before he went to the cross. So one of his big focuses was unity. In John 17, he prayed, God, I pray that those who hear about me through them, his apostles, would be one as you and I are one. So, and he, he said it several times, love one another, in, that, in his last, like, kind of talk with his disciples. And so he knew he was going to die. What you talked about right before you die is going to be something that's pretty important to you. So, you know, as he said, Jesus really, really was passionate about us having unity. That's his heart for us. That's how we can be in his image. That's how we can know him here on earth. Um, so that's like, you know, kind of the heart of who God is and what he wants for us. And the heart of spirituality, I believe, is connection with God, connection with ourselves, and connection with each other. And the enemy, he's like not complex. He's not that tricky. He's very straightforward. If you ever see division creeping in or accusation creeping in, it's of him. If you ever see unity, love, humility, it's of God. You know, like it's pretty clear. But I think I lose focus on this. And so like this lesson, it wasn't new to me. I, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, I'd never heard this before, you know, when I was kind of seeking God on this, but it's like he showed me again, and he restored my perspective, because I think we tend to fight our battles, like we get confused, and we fight the wrong things, you know, we fight each other, we fight our stresses, we fight fatigue, you know, whatever, but instead of like remembering, wait, 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 like our enemy is the divider, our enemy is in the spirit, and we need to fight for unity with each other against him, so that's like kind of the summary of what God showed me. And I want to walk you through and share some of these kind of passages and revelations that really impacted me through this. So one person who had a near-death experience, when they came back and were telling their story, this is how they described what they experienced. He said, the intimacy of lo the love God has for us is hard to comprehend. The only comparison comes by an analogy. The connection we feel with a best friend, the oneness we want with a spouse, our tender love and desire for our children, and yet there's an intimacy that we seek with each other that always eludes us. We can never be as close, as intimate, or as one with another person as our souls crave because 
the oneness we crave will only be found when we are united by God with God. God likens this to his own marriage of all of us together, like Mitch referred to. So I realized, you know, we long for this connection. And one of my prayers this morning is that God will stir up that longing for connections in each one of us. Because the reason that I kind of stopped coming to church for a while was because I, the connection I wanted, I wasn't finding. It wasn't because I didn't want to connect with anybody. I didn't want to connect with you guys. But I felt like I wasn't, I wasn't getting that. But that, that showed me something. We're always going to have that longing, and it's never going to feel completely satisfied on this earth. But does, do we give up? Is that what that means? But I think that's what we do. And a lot of times, we, we, what we do like, gets us the exact opposite of what we say that we want. So I say, I want connection. I want, you know, community. I want to live my life with people. But what am I doing? Staying home. <laughs> Sending Ben and Will to church while I sit on my couch and read, you know? So, like, what I was doing was the opposite of what I was saying I wanted. But it was because I wasn't feeling fulfilled in that area of connection. But God's like, yeah, you're not going to be 100% fulfilled until you're one with me. But that doesn't mean you give up. That doesn't mean we pull away. We still have to press in and, I think, pursue that. So another thing that I wanted to share with you in this. Um, this is someone, again, now people who have these near-death experiences, they experience both kind of good, kind spirits and not great spirits. And one of the things that it said was there exist supernatural beings that seek chaos. They have no power over us except the power we give them and are known as demons, the devil, and evil spirits. And one thing God told me through this was, you know, Shelly, I just feel like the enemy is not having to work that hard. You know? Like, I just feel like you're kind of making it easy for him. So, you know, like, one little thing, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to put him on the couch, you know? And I feel like we just, we don't always put that up that big of a fight. And, but if he had any power over me, it was because I let him. And I gave in to that. And I, like, just received and sat with the lies that he was telling. So I just want us to remember, like, we have an enemy. We have an enemy that's real, and he is the one that we need to be fighting. And we're fighting for each other, not against each other. So another verse, or another, sorry, it's hard for me to juggle all these books and quotes and stuff. Um, another quote, again, from someone and I love this because this is, like, so in line with God's word. But this is what people, you know, if you come back from a near-death experience, again, life's going to be in perspective. And what everyone was coming back with were these same themes. One person said, God gives us each other to learn how to love. This is our job. Like, that is why we are on this earth. And it takes work. I mean, a job implies work, right? <laughs> we don't always make it that easy for each other. But... <laughs> That's okay. We have this job, and it, and it is some work, but it's, it's worth the effort. Um, something else I want to share is on 229. Okay. Now this, I will tell you, hit me like a ton of bricks. This is someone who said he was with Jesus, but he went to a very dark place in his after, you know, near-death experience. And he said... <sighs> Um, there were, I'll summarize part of it. There were people, they were fighting, they were, 
like trying to kill each other, but they couldn't because they were already dead. People were locked into habits of mind and emotion, into hatred, lust, and destructive thought patterns. The thoughts most frequently communicated had to do with the superior knowledge or abilities or background of the thinker, such as, I told you so, I always knew, didn't I warn you, were shrieked into the echoes of air over and over. In these yelps of envy and wounded self-importance, I heard myself all too well. So like, that like really hit me. It was envy, self-importance, pride, another quote in there, which I won't look for, but it says that the only thing God didn't remove between ourselves and him was our own pride. And that's what we have to do. All we have to do is like lay down our pride and we have a clear path to him. So in the, I'm just gonna call it the dark place, there's self-importance, envy, pride, hatred, and then in heaven, it's full of love, humility, kindness, light, you know? And so I was thinking about this, and I'm like, we always say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And I just felt like God was like, you know, you don't have to ask that. Just bring it. Just bring it. Like, you bring love. You bring humility. And you're bringing my kingdom. You don't have to ask me to bring it. It's in you. So you bring it. When you operate out of self-importance, envy, pride, any of those things, you're bringing the wrong kingdom. When you operate out of love, humility, self-sacrifice, you're bringing his kingdom. And we don't even have to ask him to do it. One of my favorite verses, which I shared last time, is um, Galatians 5.13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we are, our freedom is to something. It's not just freedom to do whatever we want. Jesus called us to freedom to love and serve one another. And that, like, that's when we know our chains are off, when we are able to do that unhindered. Let me see if there's any more I want to share with you out of here. Again, the one question, the majority of people who had these near-death experiences did experience a life in review. And there was a common theme. They were embarrassed, they felt ashamed, but they felt a constant flow of love and understanding coming from God as they were watching their life. Almost like God's like, like, I don't approve of it, but I understand why you did it. I love you, I love you, I love you. And they're saying that's the only thing that let them kind of be able to sit through the life in review. And the question that he asked again and again is, what have you done with the life I gave you? And so that's the question. And, you know, this book does put things into perspective because it's like, why are we really here? What are we doing with the life God's given us? And if his heart is that we have connection with him and with ourselves and with each other, is that, where we're, is that what we're fighting for here in this life? And lastly, um, some, one, the way one person puts it is what they got from their experience was the message is clear. Live now for what really matters. In the end, it's relationships that truly matter. Everybody wants to change the world, but no one wants to love their neighbor. Yet all God needs us to do to change the world is to love God so that we can love our neighbor as much as ourselves. So, you know, just in thinking about this, I just want to challenge us as a body to, one, you know, look at our connection with God. Are we connected? Are we investing in that relationship? Are we going to the source? He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the 
breath of life. Like, we're not going to make it very far without that connection. The second part is how is our connection with ourselves? And I think that's a huge thing. I think a lot of people walk around with shame and self-hatred, and that causes us to have defenses that keeps us from being able to connect with and be for others, right? You know, and like a big part of my life, I've lived just kind of feeling like I feel bad about who I am. And that's shame. And I think a lot of people experience that. But like, if we live out of that, we're not trusting that who God made was good. And that like he, his spirit in us is good and people can handle us and we can bring our fullness and we can have connection in that. And then third, I want us to look at um, our connection with others. And, you know, are we making the effort? Are we putting in the time? Are we seeking the interests of others first? Are we just showing up and letting God do what he wants us to do? And um, as I was kind of praying and thinking through this, I really feel like God gave me a thought for what our response time should be. I went back and read the last couple chapters of Ezra because that Ezra was um, ended in 444 B.C., and Nehemiah started in 445 B.C., so there's a little overlap, but it was directly preceded the book of Nehemiah. So I was thinking, what did the Israelites do right before they started building the wall? What does God's body need to do to prepare themselves to, you know, seek to, for this place of unity and walking in the Spirit? And there was four things that they did. The exiles first came home from captivity. So I see that as like leaving um, our, our captivity, our bondage, returning to our true identity, returning to our calling. Just like they returned to Jerusalem, their home. Then, two, they offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. So they reconnected with God. They made the sacrifices, they put the blood on the altar, and they reconnected with him in that way. Then, um, Ezra realized that the people had disobeyed God, and they had... Uh, married people of foreign lands who had practices that were not according to his will. So they disobeyed him. So he prayed, made confession, weeping, and prostrating himself before the house of God. So they repented of, of their things. And then they made a proclamation through Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles that they should assemble in Jerusalem. And they said, whoever would not come within three days, according to the counsel of the leaders and elders, all their possessions would be forfeited as and he himself excluded from the assembly of exiles. So basically they're like, everyone needs to come to Jerusalem. Anyone who doesn't show up, your land is up for sale. All your possessions aren't here anymore, and you're not part of the body. So, I mean, they're pretty hardcore about it. They're like, we're coming together, <laughs> or, or else. So they came together, and the last thing they did was they agreed and said, you are right, we've sinned against the Lord. We're going to put our side, our foreign, foreign wives, and we're going to return to what God called us to. So that is what they did to prepare to build the wall. And I really feel like our response this morning is a time of corporate repentance. So that sounds fun, <laughs> right? But, <laughs> but you know, I think it's an opportunity. And I mean, I'm kind of being honest with you with, with my journey, what I need to repent for, and, and I want to start it. But I want to invite other people to come up too and just, like, as a body, repent to each other. And lay down the things that are dividing us. And, you know, clean the slate so we are ready to start building the wall. So, I wrote down the things I'm going to pray because I can't, like, think and be emotional at the same time. Where I'm going <laughs> to repent for. First, let me pray. Then I'm going to start. And I am going to invite you, others to come up and join me. 
in this time of repentance. God, I just want to thank you so much for your spirit of love and unity. Thank you that you put that in us, this longing for connection and this ability to love, that we are free to love ourselves and each other because you first 